Well, good morning, everybody. Head toward the book of Revelation, if you would. Revelation chapter 2. So, um, Warren was very, very kind and gracious in his comments last night, and um, and accurate. Um, yeah, I love Warren and Brenda Henderson. Lynn and I both do, and uh, it's a it's a treat to be here. And I just want to say one thing about the message we just heard. Um, I I hope um, I would beg God for this. Uh, I hope and I would pray that by the grace of God that what he is saying is falling on ears that are able to receive it. The implications of what Warren is saying is radically life-changing. It's what the church in North America desperately needs. And if we don't have ears to hear it, then it'll, it'll just come at us, and then it'll kind of wash over us, and it'll just be gone. Yeah. So I just am sitting back there, like if it were culturally appropriate and not distracting, I would be going, Whoa! yeah. And you'll note, you'll notice that um, as I speak, you'll note I'm not going to hit all his points, of course, but you'll notice repeatedly we are saying the same thing this week. And I mean, I have no idea where he's going. He doesn't know the specifics of where I'm going, but you'll notice that. And what that is is that's the spirit of God trying to communicate through the Word of God, what we all, starting with me, desperately need. So, um, let's pray. Lord God, we, um, we want to bow in the presence. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very conscious here of, of how every minute is precious uh, in a time like this. Uh, the Word of God must be preached. God's message must go out. That's the primary purpose of why we gather. But the need of the hour is so desperate. Just in the need of the hour is so desperate, Lord, that we take the time to bow in the presence of the living God at the beginning of this message, and we beg that you would supernaturally descend on this place, quote-unquote, I guess to use a New Testament terminology, the hand of the Lord was with them. And we ask that the hand of the Lord would be heavily upon us this morning, but unto a specific end, that you would be opening eyes so that we can see how you see. That's a miraculous, providential gift from God. That you would be opening ears so that we could hear the way that you have wanted us to hear for a long time. Think specifically of Isaiah and the Lord Jesus speaking prophetically that he was awakened morning by morning to hear as the learned. That's our prayer, that you would open our ears so that we can hear your voice, so that we can hear your message through your word today. You are so good-hearted. Psalm 81, Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me. I would have fed them with the finest of wheat and with honey out of the rock. I would have satisfied them. You are so good-hearted and you're standing there listening to us right now in the heavens. You have things in your hands that you will pour into our lives if only we would accept your blessings. 
So please, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would work this week and that you would work this hour. In Christ's powerful, awesome name we pray. Amen. Anybody ever studied um, King David? He was a man's man, huh? Uh, I love that. I've, I'm not much of a man's man. Um, people that, that know me can testify to this. Um, but I admire those guys. <laughs> um, I love it. Warrior. He knew God. He fought God's battles in his day. I love that. I love that. You remember when he said in the cave of Adullam, surrounded by, by warriors, he said in the cave of Adullam, oh, that I could just have a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And, and they immediately, they broke through enemy lines, didn't care about their own lives, didn't count that as precious, counted the will of the rejected king as precious. And so they went and they got the king, that, that which delighted his heart. Man, I admire I admire warriors. You see them scattered around North America. Women of God that, that lay hold of God in prayer and won't let him go. It's a New Testament warrior. Um, warriors that stand on the street and preach. Warriors that live faithfully. Warriors that, that few people even know what they do, but they, they're zealous and committed to God's church. They love the church. They're giving themselves for it. I love that. Warriors. Um, it's the reason I loved football back in the day. Um, we had a good football team. Uh, at one point, my high school won four out of one state four out of eight years. And it was our coach, really. Uh, he's in the Kansas uh, State Hall of Fame for high school coaches. He was, he was amazing. And I just loved that, that we were all in. You're expected to be all in. Hold nothing back. Working as a unit. Moving forward in a battle. I love that. My heart um, today is that exact same thing. But I just long to do that with God's people. Let me go ahead and just say it this way. Um, if Jesus Christ, and I know he's listening right now, in the presence of God and in the fear of God, if he came down physically and he said to me, okay, Scott, it's your call. Um, I will take you to eternity of separation from sin, eternity of bliss and joy in my presence, um, eternity of, of your reward. Um, Paul would say of that day that to be with Christ is far better. I will take you right now. Do you want to go or do you want to stay? And this is what I would say um, with a clear conscience. This is what I am saying in the presence of God. Um, I want to stay and I want to fight. I want to wage the good warfare as long as you will let me. I want to fight the good fight as long as you will let me. The Jerichos of our day are going to fall under Christ's omnipotent leadership. And I would like to see that. I would like to be part of that, if it's the grace of God, 
for me to be part of that. Now, like Moses, I rejoiced when our brother talked about Moses. He had a job to do, and then he had a job that wasn't his, right? Um, If that's what God said, uh, your time is up, then to be with Christ is far better. And I would say, okay, (laughs) rock and roll, (laughs) let's go. Like, I'm totally looking forward to the millennial kingdom and the eternal state. I I can't wait for those things, right? But I, I just want to stay here. I want to fight. I long to be part of a generation that will love him with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength, and that will go forward and not stop short. Again, my heart just rejoices in the word of God that is being preached by our brother Warren, that will not stop short of what God has for us, both in personal joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, but of course, even more importantly, the glory of God, the victories of God in our day. In the book of Jeremiah, it says that they drew backward and they didn't go forward. And my prayer, my earnest prayer in the presence of God, if I could just ask for one thing for the rest of my life, I don't think I'm overstating this. I would say, Lord, please just just make a generation <laughs> that that wholly loves you and follows you and goes forward on the North American continent for your glory. Um, If you're taking notes, then um, jot down the title, God's Burden for the North American Church. That's my title for, for this, these thoughts. And basically, I have one point. I don't know if that's good preaching or if that's bad preaching. Honestly, I like, I don't even really care. Like, if, if the Lord communicates, then I don't, I don't care. Um, but I just have one point that, that you're going to notice as we go through multiple scriptures. But this is God's burden for the North American church. It, it's what God is doing in the North American church today. So, Revelation, um, I'm in Romans. Go to Revelation chapter 2. We will start there. Now, we'll jump around to a few texts, but again, we have basically one one point that we're going to make. Revelation chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. It sounds like a great church, doesn't it? And then he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And then he gives the solution. Remember, Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Words from Christ to a literal historical church. Now, for the purpose of good communication, biblical communication, these are literal historical churches. You have seven literal historical churches churches. So these were messages from Jesus Christ through servants of God to literal historical churches. And that's the first and foremost way that we take 
Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, is literally and historically. A second way that we take this is that all through every age of the church, of the church age, um, these are representative churches. In other words, at any given point in church history, you would find churches like what are being described in, in the text all around the world. So they are literal, physical, historical churches. They are also representative churches. And then thirdly, there is a prophetic element to, to these. Um, many people, and I would feel very comfortable with this, this position about these two passages, Revelation 2 and 3, um, there is an element where you can watch the march through church history as you go through the seven churches. Does that make sense? In other words, the early church is what we just read. And then by the time you get to the Laodicean church, um, yeah, I'm not going to take the time to completely uh, show all the details why I would hold this position. But by the time you get to the Laodicean church, you're at the very end of the end times in the church, right? The end of the end of the age. And that's where we are today. So I want you to notice a very, very simple point. Um, but this is, this is so desperately, um, this is what God is doing in the North American church. Um, he is calling the North American church back to a biblical love relationship with himself. And what I want you to notice from the text is that in the first church, he says, you have left your first love. The solution to that is repent and do the first works. Now, the desperate problem is that we don't recognize it. And when I say we, I mean the North American church. We don't recognize it. What we do is we define the proper Christian life by our own understanding. And as long as we are checking the boxes that we feel are boxes that should be checked, we self-define ourselves as doing it quote-unquote right. And we don't realize that we're missing it. Now, I'm speaking continent-wide. Do I know how this impacts your local church? No. I'm a pitifully small little man. No, I, of course I have no idea how this, which, which letter would be applicable to your local assembly. Of course I don't know that. And then more so than knowing how it applies to your local church is, is how would it apply to you personally? I don't know. If I was sitting in the, in the chair next to my beautiful wife, listening to this message, I would probably be sitting there with tears coming down my face, saying, Amen. But what I mean is, is you read this, you have left your first love. I love the Lord more than I've ever loved him in all my life. He knows that that's true. And I know that that's true of so many of you. My love relationship with Jesus Christ is, is deeper and more vibrant than it was eight months ago. And I could list off, and there's no reason for me to do this, but I could tell you exactly how he's growing me and stretching me. So I'm not, I'm not trying by any means to lambast the people of God or assume like that there's utter failure amongst the people of God. And yet, without any apology whatsoever, I'm saying that this is God's burden for the North American church, and I'm begging you to ask the Lord, 
how does this apply to me personally? And how does this apply to, to my local assembly? Not for the point of, not for the purpose of criticism. For the purpose of pressing on with the Lord and coming into the good of what he longs to pour into our lives. So, you have left your first love. So, let me put it this way. Um, the whole point of salvation is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's not the point of your Christian life, then you're missing it. You're missing the point. And I'm going to give you much more evidence as we keep going. That's my thesis. The whole point is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's not the focus, the passion, the point of your Christian life, then you are, you are missing it. Um, turn the page, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3. So we looked at the first church. You've left your first love. Now let's look at the last church. So we've spanned the scope of church history here. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. He wants us to be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed. He wants us to be holy. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. I highlighted that in my Bible this morning. That you may see. That's what I'm begging the Lord that he'll open our eyes so that we see ourselves the way that he sees us. So that we see the church the way he sees the church. So that we see our local assembly the way he sees our local assembly. Like he, he makes such a good point here. You're not seeing how I see, right? And come get from me what you need so that you can see what I see. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So first church, it's all about a love relationship. Last church, it's all about intimacy with Christ. First church, he's calling to the whole church. Last church, he's calling to individuals, anybody that will open the door. From beginning to end, the point of salvation in Christ is a restored love relationship with the living God. Intimacy, proximity, love relationship. So you see it. Um, yeah. Okay, more evidence. Go to Romans chapter 8 if you would. Romans chapter 8. Book of Romans, um, greatest exposition that we have in all of God's treasure house called the Word of God, the completed canon. Greatest explanation that we have of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the book of Romans. Um, one through eight breaks down and gives two reasons why a, why a person desperately needs to be saved. I know gospel meeting isn't until tomorrow night and Thursday night, but maybe there are some of you here and you, you very wisely won't be able to stomach waiting till tomorrow night or Thursday night. Maybe there's some of you here and the Spirit of God will open your eyes in this moment and show you why you desperately need to be saved and you'll call on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved right now. 
Romans says there's two reasons why you desperately need to be saved. Chapter 1, 1 through 5, 12, there's a theme that runs through it. You must be saved from the wrath of God. You must be saved from the wrath of God. You have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea what it would be like to stand before a holy God, unforgiven and guilty in my sin. He hates sin more than anybody has ever hated sin. In Revelation 20, it says, of the great white throne judgment, um, the unsaved world comes before him, and then it says, from whose face heaven and earth flee away, and then there's this incredibly terrifying little phrase, but there was found no place for them. There's no way to, nowhere to run in the day of judgment. You must be saved from the wrath of God. That is the first reason why a person must desperately be saved. You must be born again. The second reason, uh, 5.13 through the end of 8, the misery and destruction of sin. Sin just messes things up, doesn't it? How many people do you know whose lives are messed up because of sin? A lot, don't you? I mean, I say that, and I, I would be shocked if not every mind in the room immediately thinks of people that you know. And the scripture says the way of the transgressor is hard. Like, how many marriages do you know that are falling apart because of sin? So we must be saved from the wrath of God. That's the first reason. Second reason, you must be saved from the destruction of sin. Now, my grand point, and I'm trusting the Lord to make this clear. My grand point in walking through Romans 1 through 8 is this. Go to chapter 8, verse number 35. You must see it in the text. Like, I, I long for God's word to speak so clearly. You must see this in the text. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from... From the, what? The love of Christ. Does he say, who shall separate us from the geography of heaven? Who shall separate us even, which I'm so joyful and passionate about, the blessings that we have in Christ? He ends the greatest argument that we have in the word of God by saying, who shall separate us from the, what? How does God define his relationship with you? It's a love relationship. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I live in a love relationship with Lynn. I so thank God for that. Not perfect, like far, far, far from perfect. Most of the time because of me. But oh, I delight in that. And she would say this, and I would say this, that... Um, the only thing that will ever truly satisfy anybody that's listening is, is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. That marriage would never truly ever, it would never fully satisfy. And people that look to marriage to do that, it's an unfair expectation to put on another person. It doesn't work. It can't work. The only thing that will ever truly satisfy is Jesus Christ and that love relationship. Now, again, keep going. Verse 37. By the way, I would recommend that you highlight that word love or circle it in your Bible. 
Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Loved us. Loved us. Again, highlight it. Verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does God end his vast, beautiful, incredible argument? Love, love, love. What is the greatest way that we know of for God to communicate a point that he is trying to, in a crystal clear way, communicate? It's to repeat it three times. Those of you that are, that are Bible students, like you know this, right? This is how God emphasizes a point. You repeat it three times. And so he has this incredible, beautiful, vast, awesome argument about, about God's salvation, his soteriology, and he ends it by saying love, love, love. What's the whole point? A love relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me say this. On behalf of Christ, um, if you don't love Jesus Christ, you don't know Jesus Christ. Because to know him is to love him. Now, some people would be more characterized by loving him with their heart. Some people would be more characterized by loving him with their strength. Some people would be more characterized by loving him with their mind. Like, we have to think biblically. I'm not just talking about crying every time you hear his name. But if you don't love the Lord Jesus, it's because you don't know him. And then let me raise that a little bit. If you don't love the Lord Jesus with a passionate, focused, all-consuming, dedicated love, it's because you don't know him well enough. If you will only get to know him better, then you, as many times as you can get it out of your mouth, you will say, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. I have no earthly ambition. I do not care. All I care about is the Lord and his great agenda and his word and his people. What does the church need? What would bring about the result of the prayer request for revival? It's this, a rekindled love relationship with Jesus Christ, and he is doing it over and over and over and over. Sometime this week, cornered Dan Williams and um, say to him, tell me about the story where you, you were a jerk. <laughs> and, then, and then say, and also include, um, include how God changed your life. I could list, and I'm not going to do it, um, the truth that I preach must stand on the word of God not personal testimony, but I could list you so many Yosemite speakers that have been changed in the past decade. It's God working in his church. One of them would say, in fact, I don't remember how long ago it was that he was here, but one of them would stand here and he would say to you, I would rather die than go back to the way I lived my Christian life a decade ago. And he's been one of my favorite preachers uh, my whole adult life. But God changed him. It's little examples of what the living God is doing 
in the North American church. Okay, uh, more evidence. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would. Second Corinthians chapter six. Verse number eleven. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now again, I don't have time and I'm not going to take the time to fully defend this. Um But this passage begins talking about love relationship in the middle. It talks about competing relationships that have to be put away. And then at the end, it talks about a love relationship with God. So love relationships between humans, competing relationships, love relationship with God. Man, I want the Lord to use this in all of our lives in this moment. You are restricted by your own affections. So let me say this on behalf of Christ. I love that phrase. This is where the church is. The worst thing that has ever happened to you in your life. Like think of the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your life. For some of you, that's a pretty, pretty awful, painful thing. And I realize like it's very sober what I'm saying. What is the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your life? Now let me just say this. The worst thing, and I'm saying this authoritatively based on God's word, the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your life is you. If you will listen to God, if you will humbly yield to him, bending your knee wholly, if you will respond to the voice of the Spirit through the word of God, the blessing that he will lead you into will blow your mind. Daily. It will be such a quality of life that it won't matter what trials he brings you into or is having you go through right now. Because the harder the trial, the more painful the trial, the more miserable it is, the more of an honor it is that you've been asked by such an amazing Savior to bear that for his glory. The worst thing that's ever happened to every one of us is us. We're restricted by our own affections. He has limitless love for us. We're limited and we hold ourselves at a distance from him and from his blessing. We're happy living outside. Like this is the amount of blessing that I'll accept. We're happy living there rather than keeping on, pressing on, going in, entering that land of rest and blessing, appropriating the blessings that were given to us in Christ. So, verse 13, Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked, that's a relationship, together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, that's a relationship, has righteousness with lawlessness, what communion, that's a relationship, has light with darkness, what accord, that's a relationship, has Christ with Belial, what part, that's a relationship, has a believer with an unbeliever, what agreement, that's a relationship, has the temple of God with idols, for you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I, now this is the relationship that he is trying to bring about, I will dwell in them, not these other relationships that are taking their time and their energy and their passion 
and their focus. If you'll only see those how I see them, the blessing that I will pour into your life, that I am instantaneously ready to pour into your life, that I long to pour into your life, but I haven't been able to, says the Lord, because there have been these competing love relationships in your life. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out. Come out from what? Competing relationships. Come out from among them and be separate unto me, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. That's a promise from the living God. Will God receive you today? Mm-hmm. James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and what will God do? Yeah, he'll draw near to you. That's a promise. On the, the word of God, thus says the Lord. If you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Man. I will be a father to you. That's a relationship. You shall be my sons and daughters. That's a relationship, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's another theme that Warren brought up. What does it take? This is the book of Leviticus. What does it take for a people to dwell with this kind of God? They must be holy in their worship. They must be holy in their walk the two halves of the book of Leviticus. It's the same thing today. Walking in holiness with God is an incredible privilege for such a pitifully broken little sinner like me. Walking in holiness with God, I just can't believe it and I can't get over it. Love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the best part of every day. Love relationship with Jesus Christ. So, um, what's God's burden for the North American church? He wants a church to be prepared. Prepared for what? To go forward under Christ's banner in this generation for his glory and see the Jerichos of our day fall. How is he preparing the church right now? He's calling the church back to a soul-thrilling, all-consuming love relationship with himself. How do we get to where we recognize we see ourselves the way he does? We go to him and we tell him. He'll take us at our word. This is a beautiful thing about our God. He takes us at our word. And so if you right now, if you go to the living God and you say, okay, I'm, I'm in, uh, I don't fully understand this, um, but, I'm, but I'm in. Um, I don't want uh, everything that's in Scott's mind, <laughs> um, but I do want everything that's in your mind. And, and I believe you to lead me into that. And I believe you to protect me from things that aren't in your mind and in your word. And I'm going to seek you, Lord Jesus, as the passionate pursuit of my life through the word of God. And then I'm going to trust you to guide me. This is so beautiful. What we're describing is the will of God. 
Can you believe God to bring about his best will in your life? Yes. Can you pray in faith? Yes. Oh, it's good. So all we have to do is basically say we're in. Now, I don't even know if I should give this little warning, but I I will. Um, Be warned, God will take you at your word. So the the latest time that I told the Lord I'm all in, this is Philippians 3, by the way. I have counted all things rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I continue to count all things rubbish. Right, so this is, that's what I'm describing. I sat in my office years ago and and I, I listed off everything I cared about. My cars, not that I really cared about them that much. Um, my library, I cared about that a lot. Uh, my kids, my wife, my ministry. Um, and I gave everything to the Lord. My theology. I said, Lord, I, I don't want to miss out on you because of some, some predisposed, incorrect theological position that I hold. Um, I give you my theology. Anyways, the Lord took me at my word. Um, a week or two later, someone hit the left rear of my car, and I went, oh, and then I said, I don't care, and then a week later, someone hit the right front of my car, and then I went, oh, and I said, I don't care, and then our plumbing broke, and the plumber came out and said, it'll be $6,000 to fix it, and I went, oh, and then I said, I don't care, and I remember looking up and saying to the Lord, I don't care, you can burn the house down, I don't care, and then not long after that, just a couple of months after that, the Lord gave me um, the greatest gift that I've ever received other than my personal salvation, and he made me chronically ill. He let me, um, he let me preach about prayer for two and a half years all over four continents, three continents, three continents. And then he, he allowed a chronic illness, a thorn in the flesh, which I still uh, uh, thank God for and bear A thorn always feels like a thorn. It never stops feeling like a thorn. And so he's like, okay, Scott, now sit down and like all these things you've been preaching, now sit down and learn to live this. Learn to walk with me. I prayed with Warren many days during that process. And I remember um, saying to Warren, if this is what God wants me to do today, then this is what I'll do. I couldn't take the light, so it had to be in the dark. Couldn't take sound. I couldn't listen to things. I couldn't intelligibly read and track I had no choice but just to sit in the presence of God. That was my journey, right? Your journey won't be like my journey. But I guess I'm, I guess I'm just, I mean, God help me if there's a better way. But I guess I'm just trying to highlight the fact that he will take you at your word. But then let me please end this little portion with this statement. Um, He who loses his life for my sake will find it. The quality of life that God brings you into is so amazing that you would never trade it. You would never trade it. Thus saith the Lord, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So what do we need? What's our thesis? Our thesis is that God has a burden for the North American church 
and that he's working that out. What is he doing? He's calling the North American church back to an intimate, soul-thrilling love relationship with himself. And the rest of, the rest of things will fall into place when the North American church follows him in what he's doing. How do we get there? We, we do what this passage says. Um, we yield. We choose him over TV. Maybe TV would rob you of what he's trying to give you. We choose him over bed. That was a very tangible choice for me. Am I going to love my bed more or am I going to love Jesus Christ more? And please let me say this. I imperfectly followed him, but I did follow him. I imperfectly obeyed, but I did obey by the grace of God. Like that's, that's a decision I had to make. Am I going to love time in my bed more? Am I going to love time with the Savior more? Investing in the world, uh, spending so much of our, our energy and our zeal and our focus and our gifts, investing in things here that don't matter there, like, I don't know what the competing relationships are, but that's what he's calling us, is to recognize those things. If you don't recognize those things, it's so simple. Just say, Lord, please show me the reality of 2 Corinthians 6 in my life, in your time, in your way, in your perfect shepherding. And then we trust him to bring us into what we can clearly see is his will. And I want to end with this. Um, the North American church desperately needs to be saved. I'll give you biblical evidence for what I'm saying in just a moment. The North American church desperately, desperately, desperately needs to be saved. It's present tense salvation. The North American church does not need to be born again. The North American church needs to be saved from a life of activity that doesn't flow from intimacy. The North American church needs to be saved from a definition, an American Christian definition that is so different than biblical Christianity. We need to be saved from what he sees clearly, what we barely see in fuzzy and partial ways. So my biblical definition or uh, evidence for this, what is a pretty strong statement is this. Um, you can just jot it down. 1 Corinthians 1.18, 2 Corinthians 2.15. 1 Corinthians 1.18, 2 Corinthians 2.15. This shows biblical examples of present tense salvation. I've seen the Lord change hundreds of leaders across North America. I talk with men, right? I mean, most, mostly I end up talking with men. And so those are the stories that I know, like the Dan Williams of North America. Those are the guys that I know. I've seen the Lord change hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And it's not because he's particularly fond of leaders, right? Well, let's just save the leaders. It's because he has a heart for the church as a whole in North America. And he is, he is systematically using the structure that he created and disseminating his heart and his mind to his people. So this is, my, this is the way I'm ending message number one, on purpose. Would you please pray with me for the salvation of the church in North America? that will be saved from American Christianity versus biblical Christianity. Or if you want to use the picture of Nehemiah, there's too much rubbish, we cannot build the wall. Right? We could keep going. I'll just stop there. Um,
He knows how to lead us. The problem is not him or his willingness. Um, we're the cog in the wheel. And if we decide we're in holy and we give ourselves to him, man, the things that he'll do will be beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your mind. We pray now that you would take um, your word and that you would drive it home. Uh, in fact, in this very moment, we ask, Lord God, that you would um, change lives in this place. Lord, I've seen an admirable um, regional leader in North America in a meeting just like this be utterly miserable under the hand of God in his life. And then in the middle of the night, you broke through in his life using three passages and you did a work in his life that is described in Ephesians chapter 3. And all of a sudden, Christ had a newfound place in his life. Lord, we've seen it over and over and over and over again. You are disseminating your mind and your heart. You're knocking at the door and anyone that will open the door, you will come into them, you will fellowship with them and they with you. Lord, please forgive us. Please move among us for your glory and also for the good of the people that are so precious to you. We trust all of this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.